Hello, hello, and welcome back to GLTV Spotify channel. Uh, this episode is going to be part two of our Remembrance Weekend special. On the previous episode, part one, obviously, uh, good friend to the show, Rangers icon and story, and David Hurt, uh, talked to us about the absolutely heart wrenching, gut wrenching, brave stories of. Uh, Rangers players and people, heroes with Rangers connections who'd unfortunately passed away or been injured in World War One, and it really, you know, moves you to hear these stories. So please listen to that if you haven't. We're, what we're going to do is part two is going to just finish off some of the World War One stories, and then hopefully David can tell us a little bit about World War Two as well with Rangers connections there. So first of all, before we get into it, welcome back, David. Thanks very much, Gordon. I've never been called an icon before. <laughs> Probably the first and last time, to be honest. Um, yeah, well, it's good to be here. And, I, and I, I'm glad we were able to do a part two because I think I think there's still some stories to tell, to be honest. Brilliant. So we uh, ended the last uh, episode just towards the kind of tail end of World War One. Please go back and listen to it. Uh, so I guess the question is, David, do you just want to pick up where you left off then, please? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I just want to tell... Uh, a little, a couple of World War One stories. Um, I'll I'll start with um, a chap by the name of Jimmy Sharp. Jimmy Jimmy Sharp was a Scottish international left back. Played for Dundee, went down to London to play for Arsenal. Uh, he ended up anyway. He was at Rangers for one season in season nineteen oh eight oh nine. Played twenty two times. Um, he never really settled in Scotland, <laughs> and he went back down to to London to play for Fulham. But the the thing of the, the the World War One story really about him is that uh, when he enlisted in the services, he, he he fought in the front line towards the end of the war. In uh, April nineteen eighteen, he was reported as missing in action, which usually only meant one thing. Unfortunately, back in April nineteen eighteen, and his family were prepared yeah. for the the telegram that was that usually followed that. But actually what happened about a week later was it was reported that he had been wounded and captured as a prisoner of war and interred with the Germans. Oh, and really? he was in that internment camp until the end of the war when he was freed, repatriated and returned home. Uh, and actually, the end of his story is that he actually, even though he was almost 40 years old, he went back to Fulham and he became their, young, their, sorry, their oldest ever player. In 1920, when he played from age 39 year old, so um, rather than tell all these stories about people who were killed, I wanted to finish with a couple of happier ones. So that was that was one. Um, and the second one is a a player who was known who's called Jock McDonald. He played for Rangers for a couple of seasons, around the same time as Jimmy Sharp, actually 1907 to 1909, 57 Rangers games, 11 goals. He was an inside forward. He actually played in the 1909 Cup final against Celtic that the Hamden Riot happened in. Um, he scored against Celtic in a, a league game at Parkhead. He left Rangers to join Liverpool. Uh, played to Newcastle as well. And by the time the war started, he was back in Scotland with Dundee. Uh, he enlisted in the Gordon Highlanders during the war. Um, reached the rank of Lance Corporal. He was injured in 1916 by mustard gas, by a German gas attack. He was sent home. 
and he was unable to rejoin the war. But the other bit of his story is, have you ever seen the film Saving Private Ryan? I have, yes. Remember that's the story that um, there was all these brothers who yep. were killed in action and they wanted and they wanted to bring the last one home. That's that's correct, um, Jim. Jock, Jock, Jock McDonald was one of seven brothers who were fighting in 1916. Um, and they've got all their names all written down here. Angus, Sam, Daniel, David, Donald, Robert, and Jock. All saw active service. Three of them were injured. But incredibly, all seven of them returned home to the mother at the end of the war. Wow, that's, probably the odds in that were pretty, were, were yeah, pretty remote a, when you think about it. So that's an incredible statistic. That's an incredible bit of information. Again, David, I don't know how yeah. where you get this information from, but wow, it's fascinating. Yeah. So as I said, I wanted I wanted to finish World because World War One such a harrowing story to tell. I wanted to, I was I was hoping to finish it in a little bit something a wee bit more. Pleasant. Um, yeah, the last just, thing I'll talk about. Go on. I just want to say you're right. Because the, the, the World War One. There's. It's very difficult to get any kind of, you know, semi-happy story. I know. Anything connected with the war. I know. I know that. I know. And what what was going to finish in World War One was we, we've concentrated in players, but as a club, Rangers contributed and made sacrifices in in World War One. Uh, to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, uh, the manager during. World War One was William Wilton. William Wilton, as well as being manager of Rangers for those in that period of time, was also a volunteer with the Red Cross, and he worked at Bella Houston Army Hospital, helping to tend the injured. Um, Bella Houston Army Hospital is, I don't know, there's a sports centre just about in the corner of Bella Houston Park, uh, just down from where the big police station is, that's at Ibrooks. That sports centre was at one time the, that that was where that Bella Houston Army Hospital was. Um, also, another volunteer in the Army Hospital was Bill Struth, who was the club trainer at the time. Obviously, he'd go, he'd go on to be manager in future years. Um, he volunteered in that same hospital, and he and he had a a background in physiotherapy, and he actually right. gave gave physio to injured service personnel in the hospital. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a great. If uh, I go to the board, in that in that uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the last thing to mention is the board of directors. You know, the board of directors were basically too old to be part of the active service. But directors William Craig and William Danskin both had sons killed in the conflict, and another director called Walter Crichton had a son severely injured. So the Rangers made. Plenty of sacrifices during World War One, such that um, in 1917, when the royal household wanted to come, wanted the, the king to come to Glasgow to do a public investiture, uh, they chose Ibrook Stadium as the venue for it. King George V uh, uh, presented with well, William Walton and the chairman John Muir Primrose get presented to the George V, who thanked him for the efforts of the club. There was thousands of spectators there. It was a public investiture, and three Victoria Crosses were awarded amongst the many, wow, the many medals that were given out. Some of them to servicemen, unfortunately. Some of them posthumously to the families of servicemen. So that, that's what I was going to finish in World War One, Gordon. Um, I, I, to be honest, I, I think I think when you talk about um, the sacrifice of footballers, then World War One takes up the majority of. Really, what you're talking about? 
and I'll explain that a little bit when I because I'm going to now go into the Second World War, uh, all 1730 yeah. and there's a, there's some there's some significant differences really in how how football uh, carried on in World War Two as opposed to World War One. Um, what you need to remember in World War Two is that the war actually came to Britain. There was cities being bombed. There was civilians being killed. World War One was far away in the continent of Europe. Uh, the the authorities in in Britain, both the government authorities and the football authorities, thought that as far as the morale of the civilian population was concerned, it would be good to continue playing football. Even though the 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 official leagues were putting were suspended, there was no Scottish Cup, there was no FA Cup, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, there was still a lot of football played. Um, and actually, a lot of the top players in Britain, including the Rangers, but if you just go through the all the top clubs in Britain, a lot of players joined the services, but they went into roles within the services that allowed them to keep playing with in in Britain. Right. Okay. So um, so if you look at some of the some of the greatest players down south at the time, um, you know Matt Busby, Stan Cullis, Tom Tommy Lawton, they were all servicemen. They all joined the army, but they they stayed they stayed in Britain during that time and they played an awful lot of football during it. They had a role in the army. They usually they were things like uh, PE instructors or something like that. Right. Yeah. But they would also travel around the country. Um, basically entertaining the public in various charity games or games that were, that were there to um, raise funds for the war effort. So the second world war is a wee bit different in terms of the sheer number, the sheer number of footballers who you can say yeah, served at the front line. But there were some, and um, I'm going to, I'm going to split this one into uh, the, 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 the branches of the, the services. So I'm going to talk about the army first. I'm going to talk about the navy. I better watch how I do this. The army and the navy and the RAF. So um, I'm going to start with the army. And really, there's only one. There's only one Rangers player that you can ever start with when you talk about the Second World War, and that's one of the greatest footballers ever to play for our club, the great Wally Thornton. Uh, Wally Thornton played for Rangers from 1936 to 1954. 18 years, um, yeah. 409 appearances, uh, 249 goals, which makes him the fourth top scorer in club history. Um, and when, you, when I start going on about his football career, I think it's fair to say that if the World War II had never happened and those seven seasons had seen Willie Thornton playing at centre-forward for Rangers, all seven of them, I think he would now be Rangers all-time top goal scorer. I think he'd have scored more goals than anyone else. Yeah, if you take his when stats, you, when you look at the number of goals, he, yeah, would, pro he I mean, would probably he would probably have scored in seven more seasons. He would he would have been over four hundred. Yeah, if you take his game, and, uh, that would have been that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So he made his debut for Rangers at the age of sixteen. He's still the youngest ever league goal scorer for Rangers. Um, his official uh, football medals, if you like, four league titles, three Scottish cups, two league cups, he won seven Scotland caps. Oh, the things you could say about him. He scored against Celtic in three different decades. He scored in the League Cup final, scored in the Scottish Cup final. He also scored the hat-trick in the last day of the season to win the treble. The first nice. ever treble in 1949. 
he was never booked. He was never sent off. He never played for anyone else. Uh, he was the top scorer in the season before World War Two, and he was the top scorer for Rangers in the first six seasons after it. He was an absolute. He was a goal machine. What a footballer! Um, he was meant to also have been one of the best headers of the ball that Scottish football's ever seen. Um, he scored an awful lot of goals with his head, from usually from Wally Waddle crosses, who was his, who was the winger. But Wally Thornton's football career was very much interrupted when he enlisted in 1940. Uh, so he, he basically hardly played for Rangers at the start of the war, the war before he, he enlisted. He was still a young man. Uh, he joined the Duke of Athol's Scottish Horse Regiment and he was given the rank of trooper. And he basically was on active service for the next five years. Um, he did play in three different war seasons a few times, a handful of games. He missed two full seasons and played in three other ones a little bit. But in effect, his, his Rangers career was just a bit put in hold for, for five years. Um, in the army, he uh, fought mainly in the Italian front. He took part in the liberation of Sicily. And he took part in a pretty famous battle in Italy called the Battle of Anzio, which is the one that ended with the liberation of Rome in 1944. Um, Battle of Anzio alone saw 50,000 Allied troops killed, to give you an idea of what, what went on in that. And by the, by the end of, the, the, of Anzio in 1944, he had been promoted to the rank of gunner. Yeah. But the previous year, 1943, Willie uh, Thornton won the military medal for bravery uh, when he came under heavy mortar fire in Sicily. And he was, it was obviously, uh, he was given the military medal. There was a citation went along with it. And I'm just going to read that citation to you. So on the night of the 31st of July, 1943, Gunnar Thornton accompanied his battery commander to an observation post. He maintained constant communication for 18 hours and passed down fire orders, often under heavy shelling and mortar fire. Down to his coolness and devotion to duty, Gunnar Thornton gave great assistance to his battery commander in bringing down his fire on the enemy and defeating them. So there you go. So as I say, Wally Thornton was a, was a hero. He was a hero in the football pitch and he was a, he was a, a hero in wartime. Um, after his Rangers career ended in the mid-50s, after he came back, scored all those goals, won all those medals, uh, he became a manager, actually. He was a manager of Partick Thistle, he was a manager in D. Then they returned to Rangers in 1967 as assistant manager to Davy White. When Davy White was sacked, he was, the, he was I think, the probably the first man that was actually given the official title of caretaker manager at Rangers. He was caretaker manager for two games and won them both. He then became Roy Waddle's assistant manager. He then became Joe Wallace's assistant manager. And then after that, uh, he stayed down as a stadium host, a tour guide. He became an absolute expert in the trophy room, wrote a book about the Rangers trophy room, and he was serving Rangers right up to his death at the age of 71. Well. Can I answer a quick question? Absolute great. Yes. So he was uh, assistant manager to a couple of managers. He had a wee couple of games in charge. Do you think uh, he ever had a chance of getting the job full time? Or do you think he was maybe best to be uh, someone's assistant? Do you think at Rangers? 
Well, he'd been a manager himself. Um, I don't know if he ever, I don't know if he wanted the job when Davy White left. Um, he came in as assistant to Davy White because Davy White was quite a young manager, and they want they wanted a a sort of Rangers experienced old hand with him. Um, when Davy White left, I think it was almost written in the stars that Roy Waddle would come back then. Roy Waddle was a journalist then, and he had been the manager of Coman that won the league with them. He was the man that I think most of the support wanted to come back. Um, and and it kind of um, it brought the, the old playing partnership back, Waddle and Thornton, who had been such a formidable partnership on the pitch. It brought them back as a partnership off the pitch as well. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Okay, so um, sticking with the army, we go to a, a player called Adam Little. I don't know if you've heard of Adam Little, but he, he played for Rangers for a long time. 1936 to 1951, uh, over 200 appearances. Didn't score many goals. He was a, he was a halfback, more a defensive player. Um, he signed as a teenager, as I say, in 1936. Um, but he became a part-time player for the next few years because he was accepted by Glasgow University as a medical student. Um, it took him a while to break into the first team, although he did play in a very famous game uh, when he was a teenager, in fact, his very first appearance for the first team in 1937 was in that friendly that, for the Holditch Colliery disaster against Stoke City, where Stoke City presented Rangers with that love it with the Loving Cup, that famous trophy that's in the trophy room, the one that they toast the health to the monarch every first home game of the, the, the new year. So Adam Little played in that game. He actually only played four official games before the war started. But he then became a, a kind of regular on the team for the first few years of the war. He won quite a few of the uh, unofficial tournaments during the war. The league, league games, Glasgow Cups, Charity Cups, that kind of thing. Um, he actually played 170 times during the war. Including those 170 times during the war, he started in the 8-1 win over Celtic in January 1943, which is a game I like to talk about. And he also played once for Scotland against England in one of those wartime internationals. But when he graduated in 1944 as a, a medical doctor, he immediately enlisted in the Royal Medical Corps, which basically ended his Rangers career during the war. He was initially stationed down in Aldershot, and while he was down there, uh, he played a few guest games for Arsenal. Before he was then stationed abroad, and it was actually Egypt he was stationed to. So he served in an allied field hospital in Egypt. Uh -huh. Now, by 1944, the, the desert campaign, the land desert campaign, had basically been won by them. Uh, that was the one that uh, Rommel was defeated in. Uh, mm -hmm. But that, that, that had, the, the land campaign had basically been won by them. But that allied hospital in Egypt was used to treat injured Navy personnel from the battles that were still going on at sea in the Mediterranean. Because obviously Egypt was a, was a safe haven to put a hospital because it, it was away from away from the sort of theatre of war, if you like. So Adam, Adam Little tended to allied servicemen, uh, mainly naval personnel, in 1944 up until March 1945 when really the Mediterranean War was won. After the war, he came back to Rangers. Um, he 
Stephen Clough to 1951, as I said earlier, which meant that he actually played in three different decades. He's got, not too many Rangers players can say that. And he left the club, played for Morton for a little while, and became a GP in Port Glasgow, where he basically stayed for most of the rest of his life. Uh, and another little story about Dr. Adam Little is that he had a brother called Gilbert, who was a engineer who also graduated from Glasgow University. Yeah. And he had something, he had a role to play in the war as well. His brother, Gilbert, helped design the Wellington bomber, would you believe? Wow. So <laughs> Rangers have got all kinds of connections with all kinds of war things, haven't they? Uh, and the last, the last player, ex-player I want to talk about uh, in the army side of World War II is David Kinnear. David Kinnear. Um, David Kinnear played for Rangers from 1934 to 1946, 132 appearances, 34 goals. He was a winger. Um, he broke into the team as a teenager in the 30s. Um, he won two league championships, 1937 1939. Played for Scotland in 1937. He actually scored against Celtic the day of the Rangers record crowd, the 118,500 crowd against Celtic in New Year 1939. Yep. But in 1940, he enlisted in the Army. And see, when I talked about what I talked about earlier on, he enlisted in the Army Physical Training Corps as a PT instructor. So basically, it was to ensure soldiers had the, the right levels of fitness for battle. So he yes. was basically stationed in England. Um, and he guested for all kinds of clubs. He guested for Fulham, Aldershot, Crewe, Northampton, all kind, played for the Army and all kinds of wartime matches for the Army. But the reason I'm talking about him is that he didn't just do, <laughs> just do that. He also ended up abroad in 1944. He was... Uh, deployed across to France in the aftermath of the Normandy landings. Um, now you might ask yourself, what the hell is a PT instructor doing towards the, the front line in Normandy as the, as the Allies tried to beat back the Germans? Uh, basically, the, the Army Chiefs of Staff decided that they would continue physical training classes for those who weren't deployed at the front line, both in terms of boosting the morale, in terms of maintaining their fitness, and in terms of taking their minds off the horrors of what was going on around about them. So David Kinnear didn't fight in the war, but he was actually part of the advance through France in 1944, in a sort of different kind of way that we think of that, that side of, of battle. He did see aerial bombardment by the Germans. He did see casualties getting brought back to field hospitals, but he didn't actually fight, if you like, at the front line. Um, something else to talk about him. Um, after after the war, he, um, he, he left Rangers. He played for Thurlanock, Dunfermline, Queen of the South, Millwall. But after he retired, his time in the army had given him a great interest in sports fitness and injury rehabilitation. And he became, he trained and became a remedial physiotherapist. Okay, right. He started off doing that doing that job at somewhere called the Glen Eagles Rehabilitation Unit, which, which saw some ex-service personnel, personnel, as well as the public. And he then became a remedial physiotherapist at Bridge of Ern Hospital. And from there, 
he became Rangers physiotherapist. He returned to the team. He returned to the club. Scott Simon brought him back, an old teammate, as the team physiotherapist. And from 1956 yeah. to 1970, he was the first the first team's physiotherapist. So when you see all the great the pictures of the great Rangers teams for the late 50s and 60s, David Kinnear's the guy sitting at the end, the, the physio, the club trainer. And he was, sorry. Which means that he was a... I was going to ask yeah, you... I'm just going to say last thing for him. Just, on, sorry, yeah. just, just the last thing about him is, it meant that he served Rangers in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And there's very, very few people in Rangers history you can say served Rangers in five different decades. Course, yeah. Sorry, I, that, was, that was just the last bit about him. No, I was going to ask you a quick question, question, just a quick follow up. So, did you see he mm -hmm. was his first ever physio? No, no, he was. He, 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 no, no, I didn't say he was the first physio, but he oh, was, right, he sorry, was the physio from 1956 onwards. All right, okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't, I'm trying to remember who's it. Was it might be Whitey McDonald. I can't remember, there was, there was the physio left anyway, and Scott Simon needed a new physiotherapist. Right, okay, sorry, my mistake. Um, he came back. No, it's fine, it's fine. So, I'm now going to talk very quickly about the Navy. Okay. And the the man I'm going to pick to talk about the Navy is possibly one of the most famous goalkeeper Rangers I've ever had, Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown played for Rangers for 10 years, 1946-56, 331 games. Um, he was the goalkeeper behind the great Iron Curtain defence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but during, during World War II, Two, if you like, at the start of World War II, he was a young man playing for Queen's Park as an amateur and also um, attending Jordan Hill College where he was training to be a PE teacher. Wow. Um, he um, enlisted in the Navy in 1942 and he volunteered to join what was known as the Fleet Air Arm, which uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Fleet Air Arm, but in effect, yeah. it's, the, it's the Department of the Navy which is responsible for the aircraft that are on warships. So it's like it's like the it's like the RAF version of the Navy, if that makes sense. Because um, obviously there's ships go on and off of airplanes, so there's Navy personnel that need to fly planes. So he he volunteered for the Fleet Air Arm, and that was something that took a a, a lot of training to become a pilot for one of these particular planes, because you're landing them on a on a ship in the middle of the sea. Um, so he, went to, he, he became a some pilot training in Tiger Moth air, aircraft. Then he went on to the wonderfully titled Fairy Swordfish planes. Now I must admit, when I was researching this, I had no idea that it was a plane called a Fairy Swordfish. Yeah. But when I researched it, this this plane, this plane that he was learning to fly, it basically was a torpedo bomber. Um, it was used to deliver weapons. It was also used for reconnaissance, escort duties of ships. Um, Escort duties or other planes, and it was the it was the actual the the aircraft that was, that was used to sink the Bismarck. Period. Oh, really? Probably heard of the sinking of the famous, yeah. the famous uh, German warship, the Bismarck. Well, it was the fairy swordfish planes that were the the main uh, ones used by the by the navy to sink the Bismarck. That's quite now, the thing about being a. I know, I know. It's a very harmless name, isn't it? So, um. The thing about being a pilot in this air, a fleet air, air arm is it was one of the most dangerous uh, jobs in the Navy. It had very high loss rates. Um, and Bobby Brown was, was training to do this. And he was down in Portsmouth towards the end of his training when he was selected to play for the Navy against the Army 
in one of these wartime uh, matches. And at the match was a number of VIPs. Uh, it was Stanley Rouse, who became the president of FIFA. He was the English FA at the time. There was the Secretary of the Scottish FA. And most importantly of all, the First Lord of the Admiralty was there, who was the head of the, basically the head of the Navy. Uh, he was an MP called Al Albert Alexander, who was a Chelsea fan. And Bobby Brown played so well that the, the, the First Lord of the Admiralty persuaded him to go and play for Chelsea and also persuaded him that he would be better off and better served playing more football, flying less planes and becoming a PT instructor in the Navy instead. So Bobby, Bobby Brown probably only played for Rangers because he didn't fly those planes because when you looked at the, the, the number of losses that they had. Yeah. He became a PT instructor instead. But like um, David Kinnear, he ended up in France. Uh, sorry, he didn't have it in fact, He ended up training those who were going to France, the Navy side of it. The, the, the quote in his book was he was told to subject the men to the hardest training possible and harden them to the possibility of freezing temperatures, exhaustion, cold water swimming, and unarmed combat. So God knows what thing, what he trained them on. But that was Bobby Brown's role in 1944. Um, I, as I say, he came back to Rangers after that. He won, oh God, he won. Three titles, three Scottish Cups, two League Cups, five Scotland Caps, first treble. As I say, he played in the Iron Curtain. He went on to become a manager. He was manager of St. Johnson, uh, where he was the first manager for Alec Ferguson and Alec MacDonald. And he was a manager of Scotland for four years. And when he was a manager of them, we beat England at Wembley 3-2 the day Jim Baxter was taunted the English. He was the manager that day. Nice. So that was Bobby Brown. Um I'm going to quickly go into the RAF because I'm aware of the fact that probably I've talked for longer than I thought I was going to. Yeah, there's, there's really only one yeah, man. You, there's, yeah. I know. There's really only one man you can really talk about when it comes to the RAF. It's a, a chap called Ian McPherson. Ian McPherson only played for Rangers for just over a year, 39-40. He's an incredible goal-scoring record, 18 appearances, 15 goals. He's an inside forward, occasionally a winger. He only actually played once in the league before war was declared. And his other, his other 17 appearances were all in the first season of wartime football. Uh, his goals helped Rangers win the first Western League. They won the, the league playoff. They won the Charity Cup. In fact, they won every tournament they entered in 1940. He always said he was going to be an absolute star footballer. But Ian McPherson's decided he would leave Rangers. And he joined the RAF as a trainee pilot officer in the autumn of 1940. And he went down to Norfolk to RAF Marum. Once his training was completed, he became a mosquito fighter bomber pilot. And he flew multiple missions across the channel and into enemy, ter enemy territory. During the war, he survived no fewer than three hits by German guns. One of them actually destroyed the electrics on his flight, which meant that on his return back across the channel, the British guns started firing on him because they, they thought he, they didn't, he didn't have the electrics to show that he, that he was a British flight. Uh, but he survived, he survived his own guns as well as the German guns. And another one, his landing gear got hit and he had to do a crash landing in a field. Um, he, had, he had all kinds of scrapes, but... By 1944, he had flown 57 successful missions and he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. 
one of only 500 odd pilots who received that during the entire uh, Second World War. And he was promoted to flying officer. By the time the war ended, he had flown over 100 missions. He had been awarded a bar on top of that distinguished flying cross. And he had this wonderful citation talking about his uh, exemplary courage, tenacity of purpose, outstanding skill, fine leadership. An absolute war hero. Um, when the war ended, he decided to stay down in England. He joined Notts County. From there, he went to Arsenal. And at Arsenal, he won the first division. He became a champion in England in 1948. Um, after he spelled Arsenal, his career went downhill slowly but surely, Notts County, then in own league. When his football career ended, he actually rejoined the RAF as a pilot instructor. Yeah. So he was he was another hero. Over a hundred missions into enemy territory, shot down three times, shot three times, survived to tell the tale. Um, yeah, five minutes. So five minutes. Yeah, in five minutes, I want to tell at least one story. Okay. There were others in the Second World War, but I, but I think I really want to talk about. There's more to. Um, service history than just the two world wars. I want to talk about a man called Harold Davis. You might have heard of Harold Davis. Yeah. Um, he played for Rangers in 1956, 1964. Um, he was brought up in Fife. He was brought up near RAF Lookers. His dad was in the Home Guard. His house was actually <laughs> in such a dangerous place near the RAF base that it had its own air raid shelter when he was a wee boy. Um, anyway, he became a footballer. He played for East Fife. Uh, Scott Simon was his manager and he went he, dra he drafted to national service and when he went to national service uh, he went he joined the black watch regiment of the army and he was sent to Korea to fight in the Korean war which is one we don't usually talk about very much the Korean war in the early 50s between north and south korea lasted for 3 years and 3 million people died during it between personnel and civilians Harold Davis saw trench warfare in Korea and he suffered serious gunshot wounds to his abdomen and his foot in May 1953. He was taken unconscious from the battlefield. He was flown to a hospital in Japan. He was in a coma for 10 days. Such was the abdominal injuries he got. He required all kinds of complicated surgery, and he was in hospital for over a year before he could be able to be discharged. Nobody thought he would ever play football again. He came back to Scotland and he got re rehabilitated in the Bridge of Ern Hospital. And who was his physiotherapist? Davy Kinnear, that I talked about earlier on. Wow. Davy Kinnear got him fit again. Davy Kinnear knew Scott Simon. Harold Davis knew Scott Simon. Scott Simon agreed to take him to Rangers. He then played for Rangers for oh, eight years. He won four league titles, a Scottish Cup, two League Cups. He played in the first ever European final we played in. 261 appearances, 13 goals. And my old dad said he was the hardest footballer he ever saw in his life. <laughs> and you can see where he got it from. He was His book was called Tough as Bullets, I think it was. And I think when you hear his story, it explains why. Of course, yeah. If we get, if we get time for one last story... I'll make it really quick because it's one of my Rangers heroes, Jock Wallace. You know fine well Jock Wallace was coach at, in Barcelona 72. He was the manager in the 70s. We won two trebles. He was manager in the 80s again. Rangers legend as a manager. 
he was also the manager of Berwick. He was a goalkeeper, player manager of Berwick Rangers when they knocked us out of the cup. But if I go right back to his early years, his national service in the 1950s, he was in the King's Own Scottish Borderers. He was deployed in Northern Ireland originally, although that wasn't what it was in later years. But then he was sent to the jungles in Malaya, where there was battles, a battle of independence between communist-backed guerrilla army in Malaya and the Commonwealth forces. And Jock Wallace saw jungle warfare out there. Wow. There was fighting. There was bullets everywhere. There was blood. There was mud. He actually joked about it in years to come that he used to spend weeks lying in the jungle mud with bullets flying over the top of his head. And he used to catch monkeys for their dinner. He used to joke about things like that. His colleagues used to joke about the fact that every weekend he would make sure he was somewhere near the radio tent because he wanted to know from the BBC World Service what the Rangers results were. Mm -hmm. That was how Jock Wallace became the character he was. He talked about three things, discipline, teamwork, and fitness that he learned in the army. And he said that with those three things, soldiers survived. And with those three things, football teams won. Sounds and that's my last story, Gordon. Okay, absolutely fascinating. Uh, David, thank you ever so much for your time. Again, today, absolutely no fascinating. Uh, please check out part one of this Remembrance Weekend special and our podcast as well. So again, David, thank you ever so much. My pleasure. My and pleasure. wish you... Lest we forget, Gordon. Lest we forget. Lest we forget, indeed. Uh, thank you, everyone. And as David said, what a way to end this recording. Lest we forget. Goodbye.